Hey, good morning, New Life Church, and welcome to your Sunday morning worship service. So glad that uh, you're able to join us and uh, worship together in singing, uh, in giving, in considering God's word together. This morning, Pastor Rusty is taking us into the next sermon in our series, Burning Questions, uh, which is all about questions that uh, you've sent in uh, about any number of topics. And uh, as he and I processed uh, together this week, I got to hear a little bit of a preview of what he has planned for us uh, this morning and uh, I got to say that I'm looking forward to it myself. Very excited. I think that you're going to be blessed by it. Uh, but before we get there, I have a few announcements for us. And then uh, we're going to pray and uh, be led in worship by the ENDS family again. Uh, first off, I want to let you know about a family car scavenger hunt. Uh, I'm sure that uh, a number of you are just dying to get out of the house and, and have some sort of excuse to get out of the house. Well, here's your excuse. The family car scavenger hunt, uh, it'll be on Saturday, May 9th at 2 p.m. here at the church. Uh, you can sign up on the website or on the app. And apparently there are prizes involved in this scavenger hunt. Prizes are gift certificates uh, from local businesses. And uh, we just ask that uh, you bring an item to donate to the church food bank. All right. Uh, secondly, I want to highlight uh, that we have an upcoming membership class, uh, which will be led by Pastor Rusty by Zoom on Thursday, May 21st at 7 p.m. Again, you can register, sign up for that uh, through the app or on the website. And then 10 days later, there's going to be a baptism class, which I'm going to be leading myself on Sunday morning, May 31st, 10 a.m. You can also sign up for that uh, on the app or through the website. Um, both of those events, uh, regardless of whether you're considering becoming a member or considering getting baptized, um, would be a great thing to just come along, uh, take in the teaching, uh, learn for yourself why it is uh, that we have membership, why it is what the purpose is of baptism. I think both of those are going to be a blessing. Uh, number three, uh, I'd like you uh, to send in some clips uh, for Mother's Day, uh, if you could email in like a five-second video of you or even one of your children uh, finishing this sentence, and it's got to be this sentence uh, in particular. You got to finish this sentence. I love my mom because she, and then you fill in the blank, okay? So if you could send in just like a, a five-second video clip so that, you know, we can sort of compile a little montage of a number of people answering that question. I love my mom because she blank, right? That's where you fill in the blank. And we're going to compile those uh, so that we can use them in next weekend's Mother's Day service. Well, now is the time when uh, we have the opportunity uh, to thank God, to express um, our gratefulness to him for his incredible generosity to us uh, through giving. And so if you want to press pause uh, right after my prayer uh, in a moment here, then you can do that and go online and uh, give by one of the methods that uh, is provided on the website. So uh, let's bow our heads and ask for God's blessing. Our Father, we, uh, we thank you uh, for your generosity toward us that uh, you uh, 
uh, are a giving God, that you are not a withholding God, uh, that in fact, as the father of lights, all good things come from you. And, uh, and Lord, we, as your children, made in your image and redeemed, adopted as sons and daughters through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who you gave to us, we want to express your character back to you by giving to you uh, of our finances, uh, of our physical benefits that you've given to us, our monetary benefits. And we also want to give to you our hearts in worship. Uh, We want to emotionally engage. And Father, we want to give you our thoughts, our minds, our attention uh, through uh, considering your word with Pastor Rusty. So we pray, Lord, that uh, as we give of these offerings to you, in the same way that your people throughout history have given you offerings and sacrifices, Father, that it would be pleasant to you, that you would be blessed by it, and Lord, that uh, you would come and meet us together in this time of worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, before we move on into our worship moment, if I could just quickly ask you uh, to send in a pic of uh, you and your family doing church together, wherever you are, uh, because as we transition now from me uh, to the worship team leading us, uh, you're going to see a montage, uh, a collage of, uh, you know, people throughout uh, our church community in, in whatever place that they're in, uh, what it looks like for them to be worshiping uh, and taking in the service. So uh, if you would send in your picture and allow us to include you in that, uh, we'd really appreciate it. All right, God bless you as we worship together. morning, New Life, and we're so happy to be here worshiping with you. Psalms 95, 1-3 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, 
the great king above all gods. Let's sing together.
carries our healing in your hands. God, we ask for your presence to move powerfully this morning. We need it badly. We are broken people in broken times. 
I pray you speak your truth to us through your word and you remind us of your love for us through Jesus. Shape our hearts, God, so we love you more and love our neighbors more. We know that you are living and you are an active God and you have the power to change anything. Greta arrived way too early. She was born at just 24 weeks gestation, which means that she should have had another 16 weeks to grow and develop in her mommy's tummy. When she was born, she was just one pound, nine ounces. That's a pound and a half. She was just a little bit bigger than a can of Coke. I remember the day when Erica, my wife, got that call that her sister Liz had just given birth to Greta. And we were told that if we wanted to see Greta alive, we should come right away. So I left work in the middle of the day. We hopped in a car. We sped down to Fargo to meet little Greta. When we got there, uh, we found her, uh, this little pink person in an incubator. Took a picture of her, which you'll see on the screen here. This is Greta, just after she's born, hooked up to all sorts of tubes, apparatus. What you see on her wrist, there isn't a gold bracelet. That's actually her dad's wedding ring, okay? That's how small she is. She was, uh, you could fit two of her arms through that one wedding ring. And so they didn't know that Greta was going to survive. It was really touch and go in those first days. It was about two months later uh, when when we got another call saying that if we wanted uh, to see Greta one more time, we should probably come right away again. The doctors had said to uh, Greta's parents that they didn't think there was much more that they could do for her. Things didn't look good. They thought that the parents should prepare for the worst and consider removing her from... um, Uh, the breathing machine, because her lungs were just underdeveloped and she just wasn't able to breathe. Uh, So the family, her parents, called in a photographer to take what they thought might be her final pictures. Uh, And I remember Eric and I going down there, joining the family in the hospital in a little side room, and I can still picture it. We were all on our knees, uh, crying out to God for his mercy, crying out for healing, for his intervention. Well, 13 years later, this is Greta, sleeping beside uh, my middle daughter, Britta. They're best friends. They FaceTime every single day. So uh, Greta made it through, and we call her the little miracle baby. Something changed that day when, when together we were on our knees crying out to God for healing. Something changed on that day. And in that moment, She started to breathe, and slowly she got better, and now she's a beautiful, normal 13-year-old. Praise God for that. You know, we recognize, though, at the same time that there are many other families, then and now, uh, in that exact same position. Families of faith, families that prayed fervently and faithfully, but didn't get the same answer, didn't receive the healing from God that they sought. Maybe you've been in that sort of position. Church, I'm glad you're here this morning. God has a word for us. If you're visiting with us, maybe for the very first time here online, we're so glad you found us. We hope that maybe after you've taken in the service here, you'll go to our website where you can find our contact email. Just send us an email to let us know that you joined with us this morning because we'd love to send you a gift to thank you uh, for being 
with us. We're in week three this morning of our series called Burning Questions, where we're answering your questions. The questions that you have submitted about God, the Bible, the Christian life, the Christian faith. Please keep sending in those questions. We want as many as possible. At the beginning of the week, if I'm to be honest, I wasn't really sure what I was going to preach on this Sunday. Which question? And so on Tuesday, I I thought maybe I I knew the direction I was going to go. I didn't feel very settled with it. The worship team asked me what I was going to preach on. They wanted to pick some appropriate songs. I I told them the question I was going to address, but I still wasn't really comfortable with it. And a few things caused me to change my direction. Earlier this week, uh, I had a few conversations, one with my dad. My dad told me the story of someone that he knows of that just recently, a woman who had had heart disease, heart surgery, had a pacemaker placed in her chest. Just recently, she got a call from a company that monitors her pacemaker. They called her to see if she was okay because their system said that her heart had stopped beating. There was no signal from her pacemaker. Well, she was very much alive, so she went in to the doctor to find out what was going on, and as they assessed her and scanned her body, they could find absolutely no pacemaker in her body. Now, as dad was telling me this story, My first reaction, okay, and I'm a pastor here. My first reaction was, come on now. No, there had to be another explanation for this. But there was no other explanation. She was healed. Her heart was healed. But but shortly after that, she got some devastating news uh, that she had been diagnosed with, with a very aggressive sort of cancer. And so I wonder what confusion she might have felt going from kind of elation to the elation of healing to the, the deflation of sickness. Maybe you've been there. Um, also this week, I got a call saying that Edith Hofer, a woman in our church, uh, passed away on Tuesday. Many of you maybe will have known that. Others of you won't. Sam, her husband, and Edith were involved in a car accident last summer, and, and, and Sam died on the scene, and Edith was left with a broken body, and... Um, just this week, she left. Uh, she left this world and went to join her husband and God in heaven. And then I got another email that same day about a missionary with our denomination by the name of Randy Hoffman. I think he's about 60 years old, and he is the, the team leader for the men's ministry team in our denomination. And Randy was diagnosed with COVID, and he was in really bad shape, hospitalized in the ICU in Vancouver where he does ministry. And so I've been getting these routine updates asking people to pray for healing. And there are thousands of people that are praying for Randy's healing. So I would just invite you, church, to keep uh, Randy and his wife, the Hoffman family, in our prayers and ask God for healing there. So as I was thinking of these conversations I had had, this question came to mind. It's a question that someone in our congregation sent me by text, and let me just pull it up here. Uh, This person says this. He says, this is the question. When the scripture says that we are healed by Jesus' stripes, I know it's talking about spiritual healing for sure, but does it include physical healing and all other healing as well, as I understand this passage of scripture to be talking to us in the present tense? Now, he's referring to that passage that uh, Jesus fulfilled. We find in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, which says that by his, or he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was on him has brought us peace and by his wounds, we are healed. How do we understand a verse like that? That Jesus 
heals us. Present tense. Or another verse like we have in Psalm 103 uh, verse 2 to 3 which says this. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. What are we to make of verses like that? Does God in fact heal all of our diseases? Is this a promise for us today to claim? I mean, I think that's a really appropriate uh, question, especially with what's going on around us here in the world, this health emergency. Already hundreds of thousands of people have died due to coronavirus, let alone just the, the, the thousands of people that are dying from a whole host of other diseases. Um, And just today, there are millions of prayers going up to God from every part of this earth in every language, asking God for healing over all sorts of diseases. So I think it's a really appropriate question and a very personal question for this person who asked it because this person not long ago suffered the loss of someone they loved so dearly. They had asked God for healing faithfully and fervently And hadn't seen the healing for which they asked. Um, And maybe you know that position. My guess is that every single one of us. We have asked God for healing. At one point or another. Maybe for ourselves. Maybe for someone we love. Maybe we saw that healing. But I think we've all been in a place where we asked. Maybe begged God for healing. That didn't come. Some of you today you're in that position. For yourself or someone else. Where you are praying for physical healing. Healing. So, so I think this is a question uh, for, that all of us um, have asked and is on all of our minds. The question is, if God heals, why doesn't he always heal when we ask? Why doesn't he often heal when we ask him for it if God heals? And so that's the question we want to look at here this morning. And I think there's actually a few questions in that one question. The first is this. Can God heal? Can God heal? Now the Bible is is filled from cover to cover with stories of God's miracles. What is a miracle? A miracle is, is the impossible, right? A miracle is something that is outside that violates the laws of nature. Now we see that first miracle at the very beginning of the Bible. When, when we find in Genesis 1 that God said, let there be light and there was light. And by his word, Jesus, God, makes everything out of nothing. Incredible. The first miracle. Everything he makes out of nothing. Uh, Many of us Christians, I I think if we're to be honest, we might be more like deists. You know, a deist is someone who believes in God, but just maybe doesn't think or believe that God is that active in the world he has made. He's just not that involved in the world, in history, in our lives. Thomas Jefferson was a famous deist, and he famously wrote his own Bible called the Jefferson Bible. You can find it uh, displayed in the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. Here's a picture of Jefferson's Bible, okay? And what he did is he retained all of Jesus' good moral teachings, but he actually physically cut out of the Bible Okay, all of those instances that record miracles, healings, where God intervenes in the affairs of men. He just didn't think that that's 
what God did. He was there, but he wasn't actively involved in the world he created. And I I wonder if some of us, functionally, we actually think that way. But the Bible tells us that God is intimately involved in our world. And so in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, it speaks of Jesus, God the son, and it says of him that he is sustaining all things by his powerful word. Even right now, Jesus is sustaining all things by his powerful word, which I think is a way of saying that he is holding the universe together. All of these laws of nature, physics, those things which God created, he sustains actively in the world. He is intimately involved in the world that he has made. And so miracles are not just getting involved. God is always involved. Miracles are when God acts and involves himself in an in a unusual way. Outside his normal way of acting. Okay. And Jesus says in the gospel of Luke. He says nothing is impossible with God. For man this is impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. You know, for us, there are some things that we can do. There are some things we can't do. There are some things that we do that are harder than other things that we can do. But with God, nothing is impossible. Now, this is awesome. And what this means is that, you know, there's nothing that's harder for God to do than anything else. Think of this. It's, it's, it was no harder for God to make the whole universe out of nothing than it is for him to take away your back pain. If God is the God of infinite power, then nothing is impossible with God and nothing is hard for God. So church, your God, our God is the God of the impossible. Do you go through life thinking that way? Our God is the God of the impossible. He is a miraculous power God. He is a God of miracles. God can heal. Now the next question is, does God heal? God can heal, but does he? And of course in the scriptures we find God healing and and doing miracles many times and certainly in the ministry of Jesus and the gospels, Jesus heals people of a variety of diseases Uh, In many different situations, we have one of these in the Gospel of John chapter 9. We'll read through this together, and I just want to unpack this one story in the few minutes we have together. So John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. It says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. 
Jesus heals this man, this man born blind. Jesus, in a miraculous way, causes this man to see. And and you might notice in those words, Jesus didn't say, I must do the work that the Father has called me to do. He says, we, in talking to his disciples, we must do the work that our Father sent us to do while it is day, while, while we have this life. We must do it. And so in the Gospel of John, just a few chapters later, John 14, Jesus says this in verse 12. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, all the things you have seen me do, you're gonna do these things as well in my name. And they did. And we see that recorded in the book of Acts. Acts chapter three, uh, Peter finds a lame man and he says, I don't have silver or gold to give you, but what I do give, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And that man, his legs were healed and he walked. Jesus' disciples healed in the name of Jesus as well. But maybe they were special. Maybe that promise, that command is for those people at that time. Maybe God doesn't work in that way today, but I just want to make it clear to you, church, that there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that God has stopped doing what he has always done. That God acts any differently today and tomorrow than he has acted in the past. There is nothing to suggest that God doesn't continue to heal today. We have the same promises. We have that same spirit who works in the same ways. Jesus heals today. And because I've seen it. I remember a couple of years ago, um, a man in our church who had a tumor in his brain and he came uh, to, to us so that some of us leaders could pr- pray over him and anoint him with oil and ask God for healing. And we did that and he went uh, to his appointment and the doctors were astounded. And they said, there is, we cannot find a tumor. It was there, it's not there anymore. It's gone. There is no medical explanation for this. Well, he knows exactly what's happened and, and, and he will tell anyone who asks, Jesus miraculously healed him of that tumor. Do you believe that God heals today? Do you believe that God does miracles? Maybe you've seen that, maybe you've never seen that. But if God can, and if God does, and we believe he can, we be, and, and we believe he does, why doesn't then, this is the question, why doesn't God often do that when we ask him for healing And with the rest of our time, I just want to show that the Bible gives us three reasons why God allows his people to suffer sickness, illness. Now, now sickness and death disease, that's not God's original design. It's all a part of the brokenness that sin brings into the world. Um, But God allows sickness, we find, for at least these three reasons. And so if we go back to that story in John chapter 9, it begins when Jesus and his disciples come across this blind man, the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, talking to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? (laughs) Interesting question. They didn't say, did someone sin? Is that what this is all about? They said, who sinned? I mean, it was, it was either his parents or it was him. Now, interestingly, he was born blind. So, so how he could have been punished with blindness at birth due to his own sin, I'm not really sure. But their worldview and the worldview of that day was that disease 
was the direct result of sin. So in their worldview, if you were wealthy and healthy, that was a sign of godliness, of holiness in your life. It was God's reward because he was pleased in you. But if you were poor and if you were sick, that was because you were sinful. God was punishing you for some reason. And this is how they thought about sickness. This is how they thought about life. Now that sounds kind of absurd, I think, to our modern ears. And it should in a way, but I think even as modern people, we can err on the other side of the spectrum, like deists who think that God isn't actively involved in the world and say, there can never ever be any connection between anything that we experience and suffer Uh, in in life and God's uh, actions towards us. If God is involved in the world, then then it's possible that some of the things we experience and suffer uh, may be something that God allows into our life for a reason. So what we do want to see is there can be a connection, even if there isn't always, there can be a connection between sin and sickness. And we see this in a few places there in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine to 30, this is that chapter that we always read at communion time. And he's talking about the church in Corinth. And some of the church in Corinth were mistreating the rich, were mistreating the poor. Um, and, and they were not loving their brothers as they ought. Paul says, for for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why, now listen to this, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Some of you actually, you are sick. You are suffering in your body. Why? Because of your sin. Because of the way you have treated your brothers and sisters. So he says there can be a connection between this. We see this in uh, the the book of James. James chapter 5. Let me quickly turn there. When, uh, when James says in 514, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so what James is saying there as well is that there can be a connection between sin in your life and sickness. God can use sickness as a way to refine us, okay, or to discipline us in our lives, to draw attention. It can actually be at times the mercy of God to turn us away from destructive sin in our life. As if we are walking in a direction that if we keep going, we will fall over a cliff and God in his mercy for us and not wanting us to fall over that cliff might drop a banana peel in our way so that we might slip on that and maybe we might hurt our back, but we won't fall over that cliff. And so there are times when God allows sickness as a way um, to, to cause us to kind of maybe turn us towards himself to cause us to assess ourselves and ask, you know, is, is there any way in me that's not right? Am, am, am I giving God his rightful place in my, in my life? Am I honoring God? Am I loving others? And so it is possible God does at times use sickness as discipline to refine his people. So even though it may not be true that Every sickness is the result of sin. It it is also not true that there is never, ever any connection between those two. Jesus continues 
after the disciples asked the question, who sinned? He says uh, in verse three, well, well, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. See, even Satan wants us to think it's that simple. If we do good, God will give us health and wealth. If we do bad, God will punish us with poverty and sickness. Jesus says it's not that simple. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But you know, Satan would want us to think it is that simple. In fact, we find at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan comes to Jesus and and he tempts him in a few different ways. And we're told that he brings Jesus to the top of the temple, this this high up place, and he says, jump off, jump off. And then Satan quotes to Jesus scripture, this promise of protection that we find in Psalm 91. Now, in this time of pandemic, Psalm 91 is actually the most quoted Psalm right now because it talks about how God protects us in the face of plague. He he shields us from harm. And so uh, these are the words that Satan quotes to Jesus. Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. For God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jump Jesus because the promise of God is that he's not going to allow you to get hurt. He's not going to allow you to suffer. You can jump. This is the promise of God. And so even if you just back up to verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 91, it says, If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your Now, Satan wants Jesus to see this and claim this, and he wants us to see this as some sort of promise that we can claim in the face of any hardship or any suffering. But Jesus says, it's not that simple. We cannot oversimplify the promises of blessing in the Bible. So Jesus responds to Satan by saying, the scriptures say, do not test the Lord your God. Do not test the Lord your God. Uh, Jesus knew why he had come. Jesus came to the world to, in other words, do not test, don't presume that you know exactly what God has to do in your life. Don't presume that. Jesus knew that he came in the world to suffer and to die, and he knew that those who would follow him, they too would suffer, and they too would die. So, back to our story Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sin, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So sometimes God allows sickness as as discipline and we should assess our lives. But what Jesus is saying here in this instance is this man was born blind. Now he's an adult, we find out. He's he's not a boy, he's a a man. He's probably at least 20 years old. This man has suffered blindness, which has caused him to be a beggar for at least 20 years, Jesus says, so that the works of God, God's power, might be displayed in him through his healing. And then Jesus proceeds to heal this man. What Jesus is saying Uh, is, is that healing bears witness to the truth of the gospel. God sometimes allows sickness so that he can do a miracle and show his power, not just to show his power what he can do, but to direct us 
uh, to the truth, to the power of the gospel. If you continue in John chapter nine in this story, you find in verse 35, um, it says Jesus heard that they had thrown this man, the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees had thrown this man out of the temple. And when Jesus had found this man, he said to him, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may, that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. He's not talking about physical blindness. He's talking about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. In other words, Jesus heals this man of his physical blindness Not just so that he can see physically, but in doing that, he can see that through Jesus Christ, he can have spiritual sight. He can have spiritual life. So so God works miracles so that people can see spiritually. This is why the Bible calls miracles signs and wonders. We see this way of describing miracles come up again and again, like in... um, Acts chapter 14, verse three, it says, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time in this place speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Why did God enable them to perform signs and wonders? Uh, to confirm the message of the gospel. Say, this God who I'm preaching about, this gospel is true and, and this power validates that. It confirmed the message of the gospel of salvation. We see this again in Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, Jesus, God does signs and wonders. Why? To to testify to the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we can have forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation with God, and the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And healing bears witness to that gospel. It is a sign, right? It's a sign. And what is a sign? A sign directs you somewhere. That's what a sign is for. Last summer, here's a picture of the Hildebrand family at the sign for the Badlands National Park in South Dakota. So last summer, we took this family road trip. It was just awesome. We stopped at the Badlands. Um, I don't know where we're going to go. I I think we'll probably get as far as Gunton this summer. So I imagine maybe we'll gather around the Welcome to Gunton sign and we'll take a family picture. That's going to be our excitement uh, this summer. I don't think we're going very far. But we took this picture of uh, ourselves by this sign at Badlands uh, National Park. Now, if you said to me, so, so I heard you went to Badlands. Like, how was it? And, and, and what would you think if I said, well, you know, it was kind of flat. And um, there wasn't a whole lot to see. That it, it, it was about four feet high. And it had these letters on it. And, 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 and if I were just describing the sign, you'd say, that would be ridiculous, right? What is a sign? A sign is not the thing. A sign points you. A sign directs you to the thing. It helps you enter the thing, entering Badlands National Park. And so the Bible describes healing and miracles as signs. They're not about themselves. It's God's way of pointing us to the better thing. 
pointing us to the truth and the blessing and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The relationship we can have with God now and forever through faith in Jesus Christ. The sign points you to the real thing. So it's really just a glimpse of something that causes us to believe in, in the thing. And so this man who was healed of the brain tumor in our church, I mean, word has gotten out in many people who are diagnosed with cancer will call him now because they know his story and, and they want to know what happened to him. And he told me almost every week someone reaches out to him. And you know what, what that allows him to do? It allows him to talk about God, the love of God. It, it allows him to share the gospel of Jesus with people that are suffering. Okay? So, so God, he, Jesus heals this man who was born blind to, to point him and to point others through him to the glory of the gospel of Jesus. This is what I want us to know. Um, we should ask for healing. We should fervently and faithfully pray, pray for healing, physical healing. I think maybe some of us, we don't do that enough. We don't take that seriously enough. Like our God is a good good father and he says, ask. In fact, it says in James, you have not because you ask not. Don't leave blessings out there that I wanted to give that I didn't give because you didn't receive. So I think our father in heaven, he wants us to. He delights when we ask him for these things, when we ask for healing. Church, let us be a, a people that seeks after God to do these Uh, signs and and wonders and to use his healing power. Uh, But although God can heal, we should never presume that he must heal, that he must heal, okay? Uh, Just because he can doesn't mean he must. Maybe uh, it was a few months ago, you heard that church, famous church in the United States. It was all over actually the news, CNN. Uh, There was a little girl three-year-old girl who, who died suddenly in, in their church and they were praying for resurrection. Day after day, I think she'd been dead already a week or more, they continued to hold these massive prayer meetings where they were begging God and asking for her resurrection and kind of claiming the promises of God and in their way of thinking, and, and it's good to ask, but, but in their way of thinking, uh, th- this, this group of people believed that, that through Jesus, we should experience healing in every way in the here and now. If we just had enough faith, if we prayed enough, God's desire, his will, is that we would experience the fullness of his healing in the present. But I would ask someone like that, have you ever met a 200-year-old person? I've met someone who's 101. Happy birthday, Mabel. Mabel Anderson, she just turned 101. Uh, this last week or two, I saw the picture uh, uh, on Facebook that her family took outside the window. She's on the inside at, uh, at Rosewood Lodge here in town. Happy birthday, Mabel. She's 101. Wow, have you ever met a 200-year-old person? I haven't. Like Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, have you met him? I haven't, because he died. The reality is, even if we're healed in one way, all of us still die. So just because God can heal, we, we must not presume that he must heal. Which is what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 2 verse 4. It says, 
God testifies to the message of salvation with signs and wonders, which he distributes according to his will. God works these works according to his will. And the reality is sometimes God's answer, his will, is no. Is not to give the healing that we ask for in faith. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, These are the words of Paul. Verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know exactly what this thorn is. Um, in the flesh was. We have no idea. Um, He wasn't a married man, so I'm not going there. (laughs) We don't know what it was. Um, Us husbands, we love our wives. They're great. What a blessing from God. I love you, Erica. What is this thorn in the flesh? Well, we're not really sure. We can speculate. It doesn't really matter. Okay, some people think it might be um, an ailment, And he begged God for healing so he wouldn't have to suffer in this way. But whatever it was, Paul suffered in some ways. It says three times, he goes on, three times I pleaded with God to take it away from me. God, heal me. I believe, I have faith. God, heal, heal. Please take this away. Three times he he pleaded, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that God's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he pleaded for this thing, this burden to be taken away from him. And God's answer each time was no. No, and, but it wasn't just no, it was, it was Paul. My grace will be sufficient for you. For my power will be made perfect in your weakness. I think what God is saying is you won't experience some of these things in your life. Maybe, maybe, maybe health or wealth or whatever it is. You're gonna carry this burden. But through carrying that burden, you are going to experience in, in a new and deeper way, the glory of God in your life. You are going to experience that God is better than anything else that he can give you. God himself is the greatest thing. And so Paul says, I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm not going to boast in my health, in my wealth, in my knowledge, in my giftedness. I'm going to boast in the Lord of who he is. The fellowship I can have with him. The life that he gives me now and forever, I will boast in the Lord and I will even delight in my weaknesses, Paul says. He doesn't invite weaknesses, but he says I can even delight in them because in them I can see, I can know and I can show that God is better. That the giver is better than any gift that he can give. You know, so church, our diseases are not defeats. Our diseases are not defeats. Um, They don't keep us from experiencing the glory of God. Maybe even they can allow us to see and to show the glory of God to others. That God is better than anything he can give. 
That can be a powerful display of the glory of God in our lives that we experience through suffering. You know, in the book of Job, if you know how that story goes, Job was a man of great wealth and health. One of those guys you look at and you went, I wish I had a life like him. He's got it all together. What a blessed man. Nothing goes wrong for Job. And so, and he was a devout man who loved and served God. And so Satan comes to God and we have this conversation between Satan and God at the beginning of the book of Job where um, Satan says to God, says, of course Job serves you. Look what you give him. You're like a genie. You give him all these good things. Of course he's going to love you and serve you because you've just blessed him with health and wealth and every good thing. But God, if you take those things away from him, he's going to curse you to your face. He doesn't actually love you. He just loves the good stuff that you can give him. Take it away and you'll see God. And that's what happens, right? All those good gifts that Job had, he loses his, his wealth, some of his family, his health, he becomes diseased, um, but he never turns from God, right? He has questions, he struggles, but he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He still loves and serves and honors God with his life. And, and, and there's some way in which we can experience and show the real true worth of God when we have nothing else in our life to delight in, when we suffer in different ways, but we find our joy in God, in who he is, and the future he has for us, and our fellowship with him. What a powerful display that is to the glory of the glory of God to those around us. When we suffer, and yet we're happy in Jesus. So sometimes God's an- answer is, no, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. So sometimes God allows sickness as, as a way of showing the sufficiency of his grace. That that's all we need in life and that's what others need to see as well. So the way we bear our sicknesses, the way we bear our burdens shows the world the true worth of Jesus. You know, we, we give him glory when we worship him, when we love him and we serve him even though we suffer. Paul says this in Romans 14, verses 7 and 8. He was a man well acquainted with suffering. He ultimately lost his life for his faith. Romans 14, 7 and 8. Paul says, for none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. He he says, if if we live, we we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God, okay? And it's his will as Christians, that we want to live in our lives. It's not our will for ourselves. It's his will for us, which we cannot perfectly understand. But we belong to him. And our lives are a canvas for him to display his glory. For us and others to know and see. And, and Paul says sometimes that happens through life. The way we live with health and wealth. And sometimes that happens through death. The way we live with sickness and poverty. Either way, we belong to the Lord. We show his glory because we do not belong to ourselves. 
We're to bring God glory in our living and in our dying, in our health and in our sickness, in our wealth and in our poverty. And then he continues in verse nine, for this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Jesus in his death and in his resurrection becomes Lord of both the dead and the living, which I think is Paul's way of saying, listen, whether you live or whether you die, whether you're healthy or not, there is coming a time when healing, full, complete healing will happen where God's promises that he will heal all our diseases will be fulfilled. And we see this at the end of the Bible, Revelation 21.4, when we see this new earth described and it says, in this new earth, there's no longer any mourning or sickness or crying or pain for, for the old order of things is gone and God has made everything new. He will heal all our diseases once and for all. So ultimately, God's answer is never no to his people. To, 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 when we ask for healing, it's never just no, it's not now, not yet. But a time is coming for all who follow him, for all who are in Christ, where full and complete healing will happen, where God will say yes. And so these healings, these miracles now in this life, all they are is a glimpse, a foretaste of the greater healing that is to come, the true healing, which Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18 as we bring this to a close. He says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All, all these earthly troubles, all these sufferings, all our sicknesses, he says, they're, they, they're nothing compared to the weight of the glory that is ours that we will receive one day, one day. So our hope, he says, is not in what we see. It's not, not, not here and now. It's not in this life. Our hope is not in a temporary healing. Our hope ultimately, Paul says, is in a permanent healing. It's in the unseen, which is not temporary, which is eternal. A healing that we can never lose. Every person that Jesus ever healed died again. Everyone he healed died. But a time is coming when we will be healed and we will never die. It will be a permanent health. So why does God choose not to heal when his people ask for it? You know, at the end of the gospel of John, after Jesus has risen from the dead, has appeared to his disciples, he says to Peter, John 21, 18, he says, truly I tell you, Peter, that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went, where you, want, you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. It says, Jesus indicated uh, this, uh, said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. See that he would glorify God in some sort of death. He says, there's going to be suffering that's coming your way, Peter. Follow me in it, Jesus says. 
Then we're told that Peter turned and he saw another disciple. We think it was probably John himself. He turned and he saw another disciple and he said to Jesus, um, uh, Lord, what about him? What, what are you going to do with him over there? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? But you must follow me. You must follow me. In other words, you know, Jesus has a unique plan for each of us, church. I don't know what his plan is for your life, ultimately, or even for mine. God has a unique plan for each of us, different ways in which he wants to use us to showcase his glory, to know his glory, What I do know, though, is that the purpose for each of us is the same. A unique plan, but the purpose for each plan is the same, that we would show in our life, in our death, in our our health, and in our sickness, that we would show the greatness of God. We would show that he is enough. Whether in our health or in our sickness, whether in our strength or in our weakness, that we would show the glory of God. So let's be people. Let's be people that believe that our God is the God of the impossible. That truly believe that. Um, Let me ask you a question. Are you asking God for anything impossible right now? I hope you're praying in, in, in your prayer life. When you talk to God, are you asking for anything impossible? And if not, why not? Our God is the God of miracles. He's the God of impossible. He says, you have not because you ask not. Come and ask. So what's the impossible that God wants you to be praying for? You know, as, as, as his people, as his church, we have a God of the impossible, so let's pray for the impossible. Let us be bold. Let us have faith in the way we pray. Let us ask God. But even while we ask, let us not waste our sicknesses. When we are sick, and maybe that's you now, maybe that will be you in the future, maybe that's someone you know. When we are sick, maybe let's ask ourselves, God, what is it that I can learn through this? Some some things we only learn through a fiery furnace. What can I learn through this? How do I need to draw closer to you, God? What is it that I might need to confess? Let us ask that in our sickness. Let us also ask God, how can I bring you glory through this? This thing that I'm bearing, that I'm asking you to take, how can can you bring glory through this situation? Through the way that I bear this? God, because I want your glory in this. I don't want to waste this sickness. God, bring glory. I want to know it and I want to show it to those around me because life ultimately isn't about health in this life. It's about knowing and enjoying God. That's what life is about, knowing and enjoying him forever. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? It profits him nothing. This life is not about health. It's not about wealth. It's about knowing and enjoying God forever. And God, how can the way I bear my burdens show that that is true? Ultimately, in Christ, we have experienced the greatest miracle. For all of us who have put our faith in him, the miracle of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, fellowship with God, the gift of eternal life, we're all miracle children. Like Greta, we call her the miracle baby. Each one of us, though, we're miracle children. 
we have received the greatest miracle, the greatest healing, the miracle of salvation. So, so church, let us, no matter what situation you're in now or what situation you're gonna find yourself in, let us be people who, who don't fix our eyes on, on what is seen and what is temporary, but on what is unseen and what is eternal. Let's be those sort of people. All right, uh, let me just pray for us. Um, uh, we're gonna close our service here in a moment. The, the team's gonna lead us in the singing of Great is Thy Faithfulness. Um, after I pray, we're just gonna read the Be the Church slide together as we do. Um, but let me just pray. Would you join me? God, uh, Father, we believe that you are the God of the impossible. You are the God of miracles. You can do them. You did them. You do them today. You're going to do them tomorrow. We believe that, God. Lord, if we don't believe that, just help our unbelief. Help, help us to, to have faith in your power, to have the boldness to ask you to do the impossible. God, help us to believe in our lives but, but even as, as we believe, just help us to trust in your will, Lord. We do not want our will to be done. We want your will to be done. Lord, we just surrender ourselves in all the situations of our life. And some of us right now, we're facing difficult things. Maybe, it's, maybe it is bodily sickness. Maybe it's something else. But God, help us to trust in you in this. And, and, and in it to be able to know and to show um, your glory in our lives. And God, help us to fix our eyes on you. Um, fix our eyes, not on what is seen and temporary, but what is unseen and what is eternal. Lord, just help us to fix our eyes um, on your promises and the hope that we have through Jesus. Um, as we go into this week, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, church, uh, you've been to church. It's time to be the church. Uh, so why don't you join me here by reading the all caps. We are the church, so wherever you go, Christ goes. If someone asks, what is your church like? Let's tell them, I am what my church is like. If someone asks, what does your church do? Let's tell them, I am doing what my church does. We are the church, and we may be the only contact that someone has with Jesus this week. So though they may not yet belong to the church, we can bring the church to them. Amen. Thank you, Rusty, for that great message. Let's sing together one final song before we go out to our week. Oh
God, creator, healer, redeemer, savior. We thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you that you walk with us every day and that you are with us in each moment. Thank you that your promises are true and your goodness never fails. God, help us to take this moment of worship and connect with you into the week ahead. May we carry your kingdom love in our hearts always. Have a great week. Amen.